Today's episode, I have Nir Ayal, the author of two books that I've I've loved. I mean, both have been great, different. The first book was Hooked, um, about how basically, you know, we get hooked on different behaviors, which is great for changing your behaviors, but also, you know, how social media companies and, and companies get us hooked on stuff. And the second one that I, I feel, at least for me, has been um, very, very powerful is Indistractable, how to control your attention and choose your life. And we dive into, you know, the principles and then different practices and strategies on how to be indistractable, be able to focus and put attention towards the things that matter in your life. And um, a really, really insightful episode. Um, again, practical stuff you can take away with it. Definitely get the book because it's excellent. It's one of those books that you you read, like you can create a plan and actually start working on becoming more indistractable. So can't wait for you to hear the episode. I know you're gonna love it. Welcome to the Vigor Life Podcast, a source of inspiration, lessons, stories, skill sets, mindsets, and strategies to invigorate and expand all areas of your life. Let's go. It is a pleasure to have you on the show, uh, man. Is um, I love that that Brett connected us because again, I've got both of your books. Uh, Hooked was the first one that I read that really helped because I'm I'm a bit of a marketing geek. I mean, if you own a, if you own businesses, you you kind of have to understand how to get people hooked. Um, and also I'm in a coaching space, so it's like getting people to, you know, follow behaviors and, and, and get hooked on the behaviors that lead them to what they want, not the other way around, um, was helpful. But what this, this last book that you, you wrote is a topic that's just been, um, I mean, let's, let's be real. I, I struggle with it a lot. Every person I talk to, you know, whether it's coaching clients and fitness or uh, my business coaching clients, I, no matter how, you know, productive I feel I am, I think there's such a gap. Um, and be more productive because we get distracted. So um, right. the, the book, which is excellent, by the way, if anybody hasn't read this, nice. it's got to be on, on on top of your list, Indistractable. Um, it honestly, it's like every time I read through it, it kind of, you know, it pokes at you because cause, cause you see yourself in your day and going like, oh man, I, I do this all the time. And and what I really, you know, love to, to talk with you about and, and dive deep into is, you know, practical. I mean, obviously there's, there's, there's principles in this book that are, kind of the, the core of it, but really dive into practical strategies, you know, for, for people, including myself, to mm. um to help get away from what I know that I'm, you know, doing wrong or where I'm getting distracted. And um mm-hmm. and get get some of your insights on that and and what you found, not only through the research, but you know, obviously that this is your world um of helping people overcome get um uh, get away from the distractions. Because again, there's more than ever uh, the technology that that helps me in my day is mm. a lot of times the technology that takes me away from the, the things I, I care about and, and that I want to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so this was a very personal journey for me. So I wrote Indistractable uh, because I needed it more than anyone else. Right? And it took me five years to write the book because I kept getting distracted. <laughs> and I, <laughs> as I was doing the research for the book, I came across all kinds of, you know, tips and tricks and life hacks that do not work. They just don't. I mean, we've all heard, you know, this is the magic solution. Here's a secret. Stop using social media. Grayscale your phone. Do this life hack. Take this vitamin, whatever, this enema. Like, oh, there's so much bullshit. Just like with the fitness space, right? So, you know, there's so much ridiculousness, right? And what really kills me, it's almost like, uh, I like to use the metaphor of like, I I call it talking protein, right? Like, you, you know, you've been to the gym and you see those two guys in the corner 
who are doing nothing but arguing about, okay, so should I use whey isolate? And, you know, how, what about this? And how about, you know, do, am I getting enough of my BCCA, whatever, blah, 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 blah. And meanwhile, they're not lifting any weights. <laughs> like, and that's, that's exactly what we see in the distraction community as well. It's like, well, you know, you should be taking uh, these kind of mushroom supplements and you should be doing this and you probably have to get diagnosed with some kind of ADHD or well, there's just a million things. Meanwhile, you know, are you doing your reps and sets? Right? Are you doing your reps and sets? For example, do you have a calendar? What? <laughs> right? Like, how many of us have big white open space in our calendar and then we complain about how we're getting distracted? Well, here's the thing, folks. You can't say you got distracted unless you know what you got distracted from. So this is where we really have to understand, okay, what is distraction? Let, let's start from bare bones here, because I, I read all the books on this topic. And uh, I, I, I got to tell you, like the average advice of just, you know, stop getting distracted, just say no, stop using social media, blah, blah, it doesn't freaking work, right? Because there's always distraction. People have been distracted for at least the past 2500 years. That's when we know that Plato, the Greek philosopher, was complaining about distraction 2,500 years before the internet. So it can't be caused by our technology. There has to be a deeper reason. So let's start with what is distraction? Okay. The best way to understand what distraction is, is to understand what distraction is not. What's the opposite of distraction? Most people will tell you the opposite of distraction is focus, right? I don't want to be distracted. I want to be focused. But that's not exactly right. You see, if you look at the origin of the word, the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. Of course it is, right? Clearly, traction, distraction comes from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And you'll notice that both words end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action, reminding us that distraction is not something that happens to us. It's not your phone, it's not your computer, it's not your kids, it's not your boss. It's not stuff that happens to you. It is an action that you took. So traction is any action that pulls you towards what you said you were gonna do. And what you said you, you're going to do could be anything. It could be, I wanna watch a movie on Netflix. It could be, I wanna play a video game. It could be, I wanna watch sports on TV. It could be anything you said you wanna do in advance is traction, anything, okay? We need to stop moralizing and medicalizing and saying, oh, you know, going playing video games is somehow bad for your brain, but watching sports on TV is okay. Why? It's ridiculous. Anything you wanna do with your time and attention is fine, as long as you're doing it according to your values and your schedule, not somebody else's. Conversely, just because something is a work-related task doesn't mean it's not a distraction. So let me see if this sounds familiar to you. So for me, I would sit down at my desk and I'd say, okay, I've got this big project to work on. First thing on my to-do list, by the way, we can get back to why to-do lists are one of the worst things you can do for productivity. We can get back to that later. I've got this big project to work on. Okay, here I go. I'm going to get started. Nothing's going to get in my way. I'm not going to get distracted. Here I go. But first, let me check email, right? Let me just scroll that uh, Slack channel. Let me just check on the industry news just to make sure I'm up to date. And I would rationalize that to myself saying, oh, it's a work-related task. I got to do it at some point today, right? But if it's not what you said you were going to do in advance, it's just as much of a distraction as playing video games or social media. So we've got traction, we've got distraction, okay? The arrows pointing in opposite directions. Now we've got two arrows bisecting in the middle. Those represent our triggers. We've got internal triggers and we've got external triggers. External triggers, these are the usual suspects, right? These are the pings, the dings, the rings, anything in your outside environment that tells you what to do next. This is what people tend to blame, 
right? It's it's my phone, it's the computer, it's the kids, it's the, all that stuff outside of me. But would you believe that studies find that only 10% of the time we get distracted, 10% is it because of an external trigger? Only 10% of the time that you check your phone is it because of a ping, ding, or ring? So what's the other 90%, okay? 90% of the time that we get distracted, it's not because of what's happening outside of us, it's about what's happening inside of us internal triggers. Internal triggers are uncomfortable emotional states that we seek to escape. Boredom, loneliness, fatigue, stress, anxiety, uncertainty. These uncomfortable emotional sensations that we seek to escape. So whether it's too much news, too much booze, too much football, too much Facebook, you are always going to find distraction unless you understand the emotion you are trying to escape from. Because distraction is an emotion regulation problem. There's nothing wrong with you. Your brain isn't broken. You don't need some magic pill to cure something you don't have. You just need tools to deal with discomfort in a way that pushes you towards traction rather than trying to escape it with more distraction. So that's that's the first step. So th now we have the four points of our compass. Step number one, master internal triggers. That's the most important first step. If you don't do that, nothing else will work. Step number two, is making time for traction, right? Scheduling out your day so you know what is the difference between traction and distraction for your entire day. Step number three is hacking back the external triggers. Yeah, those pings, dings, and rings, they can have an impact, small, but there's a lot of stuff we can do about those. Not only the obvious stuff like your phone and you know technology, but also what about stupid meetings you didn't need to attend, emails you didn't need to read, right? Those are all external triggers we can hack back. And then finally, the last step is to prevent distraction with pacts. A pact is a pre-commitment device that binds us to a, a, a stated outcome. So it's the firewall against distraction. It's the last line of defense. And I'm telling you, if you use these four strategies in concert, master internal triggers, make time for traction, hack back external triggers, and prevent distraction with pacts, anyone can become indistractable. So that's, that's kind of the big picture overview. That's the model. That's what took me the most time in writing this book over the past five years and doing tons and tons of research through academic journals like you wouldn't believe was so that I could establish this model, this framework that now anyone can use. And so it's simple enough, not, it's not simplistic, but it's simple enough to be useful. And so, yeah, I just wanted to set that context and now we can kind of dive into to specific points where, I, where it could be helpful. I appreciate that because, I mean, one, very clearly broken down. Here's one of the first things that I want to kind of uh, jump to. I mean, yeah. I would say the majority of people that you would talk to about distractions would flip that around. Mm. Very few would even mention internal triggers, right. uh, probably because they're uncomfortable. <laughs> but, but right, they would go straight to external triggers. Now, I didn't know right. I mean, that. That's a like there's, there's only ten percent is external triggers. That even again, a reminder is like it's fascinating. But I I want to dive into, you know, the internal triggers because I feel a lot a lot of times the block there is even the awareness of it. And totally. I know that there, there's um. I really want you uh, would like for you to talk about the approach of how to address those because again, I, I feel that those are hidden, so it's easier to go like, well, you know, I'm distracted by this and this and this, all these external things. Yeah. We're really not looking inside because anything that becomes an emotional thing becomes something I want to push off to the side and and not deal with. Absolutely, absolutely, and you're you're absolutely right. It's so much easier to blame whatever's on the screen or, you know, in your hand or like going on in the world around you, it's so much easier 
to blame that stuff than to take personal responsibility, right? <laughs> we see this, you know, in in in, in uh, health and fitness, you see this all the time, right? Oh, it's it's not it's not my fault I'm fat. It's the food industry. It's McDonald's and Coca Cola that are doing it to me. Well, okay, sure. They yeah, you didn't invent McDonald's. You didn't invent Coca Cola, so it's not your fault. But guess what? It is your responsibility. Right, a lot of things that aren't your fault are your responsibility. Because who else is going to do something about it? You expect McDonald's and Coca Cola to tell you when you've had enough? No. <laughs> Facebook and CNN and the New York Times and Fox News, none of them give a crap about how you spend your time. That's not their business. Their business is to turn your eyeballs into money. That's what they do. They're media companies. Okay. Does anybody not know that? So now that we know that, okay, what's next? Puelo Coelho had a wonderful quote. He said, a mistake repeated more than once is a decision. A mistake repeated more than once is a decision. Such a good quote. How long can we complain about these external triggers? How much are we going to complain that it's McDonald's and it's Coca-Cola and it's Facebook and it's all, it's everybody else's fault. Okay, we got it. And now what? Mm. How do we take responsibility for it and do something about it? Okay, here, so so the way we do something about it is starting by understanding the root cause of the problem. So I used to be clinically obese. And I'm, I'm not talking overweight. I was clinically obese. I remember my mom taking me in, you know, in, in high school to the doctor's office and the doctor saying, okay, you see this chart over here, this green zone, that's normal weight. Yellow zone is overweight. Here's you, you're in the red zone. You're in obese. And um it started, it, it, it's why I started to study what I studied, like what, you know, why I taught at Stanford and the graduate school of business uh, there and later at the Hassel Platter Institute of Design. Like that, that, that academic journey started with the fact that I always felt that food controlled me, right? even from a very young age. Uh, today, I'm 46. I'm in the best shape of my life. But it's because I understood why I was doing things against my better interest. And the, the, the net result, really, if you think about it, if you talk to obese people and you actually dig down to why they, they overeat. They know it's not good for them. Just like we know when we get distracted by one thing or another, we know that's not what we should be doing. But the reason we do those things, like if you ask me, you know, why did I used to overeat? How did I become obese? It wasn't because I was hungry. It wasn't even because the food was delicious, right? It was because I was eating my feelings. Mm -hmm. That's the case with everybody who's obese, right? That's where it starts from. Of course, you get into metabolic syndrome and all kinds of crazy stuff happening with the biology of the body. I get that. But the core state where the circuit breaker doesn't go off in your head that says, this is excessive, this is too much, I'm going too far, I'm doing something to hurt myself, and you keep plowing past that, happens when you're eating, not because you're hungry, right? I used to eat when I was feeling lonely. I would eat when I was... Uh, bored. I would eat when I felt ashamed about how much I had just eaten. And so at the core is emotions. So here, here's, here's a really, I think, important pillar of understanding human behavior that overturns, I think, a lot of what, a lot, what most people I used to think about behavior. You see, we all have this conception that motivation is about carrots and sticks, right? You, you've heard this cliche before, right? That everything, you know, is about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. Neurologically, that is not true. We now know that in the brain, that is not how the brain works. There is no carrot and stick. In fact, there's only one thing, and that is the desire to escape discomfort. That all human behavior, everything you do, you do to minimize discomfort, even, even the desire to feel good. Think about it. The pursuit of pleasure, right? Wanting, craving, lusting, desire, hunger. 
all those things are psychologically destabilizing. So the carrot is the stick. The way the brain gets you to do stuff, there's a reason we say love hurts. That's exactly right. It's because the way the brain gets you to do stuff is by making you feel uncomfortable enough to go do something to satiate that discomfort. So that means, therefore, if all human behavior is spurred by a desire to escape discomfort, that must therefore mean that time management is pain management. Money management is pain management. Weight management, it's all pain management. All of it is pain management. So for some people, that's like, oh, that's so depressing. It's all about pain management. Yeah, but to me, that's incredibly liberating because once you realize, wait a minute, it's just a feeling, right? It's not, you know, it's, it's not somebody keeping me down. It's not, you know, weird brain chemicals taking over my brain. It's not all this external stuff. It's, it's simply feelings. It's all it is. And so once you learn to manage that discomfort, once you master those internal triggers, they cease to become your master. So what distractible people do is as soon as they feel any kind of discomfort, right? Any kind of strain, oh, let me escape it. Let me turn on the news. Let me drink something. Let me click something. Let me escape. It's Whereas indistractable, yeah, exactly. They're, they use it as pacification. That's exactly right. Whereas indistractable people, and, and I did, you know, I did interviews over the past five years of writing this book. I would talk to A players in every industry from sports to the arts to business. They all feel the same exact internal triggers the rest of us do. They also feel lonely and bored and uncertain and stressed and anxious. They feel the exact same internal triggers. The difference between those A players is that they use that discomfort to motivate them and use it as rocket fuel towards traction, whereas distractible people try and escape that discomfort with distraction. So this is where, so that was kind of the setup here to understand how important these sensations are, because you're absolutely right. The reason people don't think about these internal triggers, and they just think about the external triggers is because it's kind of hard to talk about your feelings, right? These icky, squishy emotions, but that is way, way, way more important than just the external triggers. And then, okay, so this, I mean, this is a powerful thing. And again, that's why I wanted people to hear this too, because it is, look, sometimes awareness precedes change, right? And assessment precedes awareness. And maybe the assessment is like, I listened to this podcast and I was like, oh, okay. I'm trying to blame it on all these things. Nothing's changed. I got to start addressing why I'm impastifying. And we passed, you know, there's a hundred different ways you can pacify. Uh, I mean, I've right. pacified in the past where it's like, okay, work and work out, right? I don't want to, I want to avoid the stuff that's going on in my life. So I'm just going to run to that. Some people, it's food, yeah. some people, it's drugs, some people, it's uh, TV and social media, right? It's the mix of those things. But but how like does somebody start? And, and when this is a lot, right? It's a lot to take in. Mm. Where does somebody start by addressing this? You know, yeah. something practical they can address this with. Absolutely. So you want to do one small thing in each of these four strategies. Okay, so master internal triggers, make time for traction, hack back external triggers, prevent distraction with packs. I'm, I'm summarizing five years of research and you know, like 250 page book, but essentially if you can do one small thing in each of those four categories, you will start this, this self-perpetuating cycle to become indistractable. So starting with internal triggers. Okay, there's over a dozen different techniques in the book that you can use, uh, but if you just adopt one of them, what you want is a tool in your toolkit ready to go so that when you feel these internal triggers, you have something to do that leads you towards traction rather than distraction. So I'll give you one example. Okay. So um, I've been a professional author for about a decade now. And every time I write, it's hard freaking work. 
Okay. Like people say like habits, you know, it's getting their own writing habit habits, you know, habits, this the habits are everywhere. And I, and I get it. My first book was all about habits, but I think we've, we've overdone it on habits. And, and so I want to, I want to take those down a notch because people think that they can turn everything into a habit. And that is not true. Okay. Only certain behaviors can become habits because what's the definition of a habit? The definition of a habit is a behavior done with little or no conscious thought. If you're pushing for a PR in the gym, that is not a freaking habit because it requires a lot of conscious thought. Meditation. If you're meditating with little or no conscious thought, you're doing it wrong. You missed the point. The point of meditation is to be conscious and aware of your thoughts. Writing. Okay. If you want to write, I don't know how to write without conscious thought. That's the whole point is to get my thoughts down, you know, into my computer. That's what it's all about. It's about thinking. So you can't turn difficult behaviors into habits. You can only turn passive behaviors like driving your car or riding a bike. Yeah, you can have a conversation or listen to a podcast while you're driving your car because now it's on autopilot. Now that you've learned the behavior, it's it's habitual. But when you first learned, you're white knuckling it, right? When you were a teenager, then you really have to be fully present and, and have a lot of conscious thought. So the first place to realize, and I think this messes up a lot of people, especially, you know, like when you think about, I know you have a lot of coaches listening, you know, stop telling your clients to make everything into a habit. What you want to do is to tell them to make it into a routine. You say, oh, tomato, tomato, what's the difference? Big difference. Here's why. Because when people think that they can turn everything into a habit, they start, you know, they do it for 44 days or 66 days or whatever BS number that they read by some study that doesn't exist. There is no magic number. But then they start getting discouraged because they think, huh, you know, I've been working out now for 66 days. It still sucks. It's still hard. It's still painful. Well, what happened? Right? So they don't, so they, what happens is they start blaming themselves. They think they must be broken, right? They think I might not, must not be good at this. There's nothing wrong with them. They're not broken. It's a stupid technique that they're using in, inappropriately. Rather than what I advise is for, for behaviors that can never be habits, right? So, so working on the gym is not going to become a habit. Don't expect it to be easy. Get ready for the discomfort and learn how to cope with it. So that's where this emotion regulation stuff comes in handy is, is to know that, look, this is going to hurt and that's part of the process. So let me give you something that I do almost every single day. So this is called the 10 minute rule. I didn't invent this. It comes from acceptance and commitment therapy. It's been around for a very long time, but it's a technique I use almost every single day. So when I am writing or I'm doing some fitness routine, exercising in some way, and all I want to do is something else. Okay. I just want to you know, take my mind off of it. And, you know, while I'm writing, I want to go research something or check some email or whatever the case might be. I want to get distracted. And I feel that discomfort of boredom or fatigue or loneliness or whatever. I just want to go do something else. I implement what's called the 10 minute rule. The 10 minute rule says that you can give in to any distraction. Okay. Any distraction whether it's that piece of chocolate cake you're trying to avoid if you're on a diet, whether it's that cigarette you're trying to quit smoking, whether it's checking social media or email when you know you should be working, whatever the case might be, you can do it. It's fine. But in 10 minutes, not right now, in 10 minutes. Now, why is this so powerful? Because what you're doing is that you're increasing your agency. You're increasing your belief in your ability to delay the escape from that discomfort. And while you do that, you're going to use a technique called surfing the urge. Okay, so here's literally what I do 
once a day when I'm writing, because again, writing is super hard. <laughs> it never became, I have two bestsellers. Uh, I've sold over a million copies. It never gets easier. And so what I have to do is I, I, I take my phone, I set a timer for 10 minutes, and now I take a deep breath, okay? And now my job is to surf the urge. Surfing the urge acknowledges that these emotions that we have, boredom, loneliness, fatigue, stress, anxiety, in the moment, it feels like you're always going to feel that way, right? You feel angry, you think you're always gonna be angry. If you're bored, you feel like you're always gonna be bored. Whereas that's not true, right? In reality, emotions are like waves. They crest and then they subside. So your job is to ride that wave of emotion like a surfer on a surfboard. It's called surfing the urge. And so here's one technique that I use while I'm surfing the urge. I'll take a deep breath. I'll kind of come to grips with all the emotions that I'm feeling, you know, the doubt, the uncertainty. Is anybody going to like what I'm writing? Is this any good? Am I meant to do this? All that doubt and uncertainty. I put that aside for a second and I repeat this mantra. My mantra that you can steal or you can use something else. You can make up your own. This is what I do. I close my eyes and I repeat the simple mantra. This is what it feels like to get better. This is what it feels like to get better. I just say that maybe two or three times. And when I'm done with that, okay, if I just say it a couple of times, I will naturally feel that emotion subside and I get back to the task at hand. And if I'm not quite ready, I'll just keep breathing and repeating that mantra until I am ready. In 99 out of 100 times, I will get back to work on that task, okay? And then when the 10 minutes are up, I find I don't need to stop because, okay, now I'm in the flow. Now I'm getting to it. I, do, I don't feel that emotion anymore. I'm ready to continue. And so that technique, what, what, what's so powerful about it is that when you practice that 10-minute rule, you realize you are in charge. Anybody can wait 10 minutes to eat that piece of chocolate cake or check social media. It's just 10 minutes. And if it's too much, make it the five-minute rule. But over time, what you're going to find is that you can turn the 10-minute rule into the 12-minute rule, into the 15-minute rule, into the 20-minute rule, and now you're free from these emotions mastering your behaviors. Stop in here for a second because I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Vergaro, and check this out. So last year, I went to speak at Iconic 22, which is an event that Vergaro puts on. Didn't quite know anything about them. Absolutely fell in love with the way that I was treated. And I was like, man, if they treat me like this, how are they treating their clients? So I started digging into their company, their software, and I was absolutely blown away to a degree that I started recommending it. We're starting to use it and it's on a whole nother level. So it's the leading in booking and management app for any size business, whether you're a solopreneur, you own a single gym or you own multiple gym locations. And again, they're also a new partner of the Vigor Life Podcast. And we're gonna keep bringing you more insight and knowledge to help you reach your business goals, both physically and fiscally, right? So keep tuning in, tell a friend, because this year we're taking it to new levels. And if you wanna check them out and get a free month of their software, trust me, it's the best I've seen around. Check out their website, vagaro.com forward slash pro. Again, check out their website, vagaro.com forward slash pro you can get a free month this is going to be the best management system you've ever used crm you've ever used billing system you've ever used see, see that's powerful because i truly think that i mean everything breaks down to to me at least it's like i look at it you know you said practice a, a number of times and it's like yes you're, you're practicing something to master a thing because what you find is that many people are kind of just a roller coaster of emotion right emotion hits right and instantly you, you behave, you behave, you pacify, usually takes you, you know, it's the distraction taking you away from the traction of, of, of uh, behaviors that you want. Right. And if, if, 
I've always thought of this as, you know, basketball was a big part of my life for a long time before I, I got to coaching. And, you know, this analogy of like, okay, currently, you know, you suck at left-handed ball handling and, and hook shots, right? And, but you're, but you're not going on a court and practicing them whatsoever. And yet you're frustrated that you're, you suck at left-handed ball handling and, and hook shots. Have you been watching my game lately? What's going on here? I, oh, I feel I feel called out. Yeah, I was about to say some insights that we didn't. Um, I, I did actually get some game film, but <laughs> it's, that to me has always been like what you're talking about is like that is a practice method to get good at having that space before you just go and pacify. Oh, oh uncomfortable. Right. Go and pacify. Go away from the writing. Go away from the workout. Go, you know, and and being able to look and it actually this this connects really well because the the second part is about scheduling traction or should i say you know scheduling those behaviors and i have a couple of questions about that that um yeah. kind of throw some things off but again you have to schedule your practice to get better at this stuff or you're just going to continue to be a slave to your emotions and and the roller coaster of life but that's exactly right when when you talk in the book, you talk about making time for traction, which I love because I, I have this analogy of the watch and the wallet, right? I always tell people like, hey, listen, you tell me you're committed to this, but I'm going to, your watch is your calendar, is your is your daily schedule, and your wallet's where your money goes, right? You, you can tell me you're committed to something, but if it's not in your calendar, and if, if, if at least finances aren't going towards it, probably it's not that big of a commitment. But yeah. you brought this up that in, um, you don't pick your goals, you pick your values. Right. And that's that's kind of interesting. I, I know a lot of people are going to say, oh, hold up, Nair, what do you mean by that? Mm. How, you know, how does that look like if I'm creating a schedule of things that are going to lead me towards who I want to become, you know, whether it's build my business, build a brand, uh, be more fit. How does mm -hmm. that look like when you're picking your values when it comes to schedule? Yeah. So I couldn't, I couldn't have said it better myself. Watch and wallet. I mean, that's exactly right. If you want to know what someone's values really are, you don't listen to what's coming out of their mouth. You look at how they spend their time and how they spend their money. Those are your values. So what are values? Let, let's define those again. What, what are values? Values are attributes of the person you want to become. I'll say it again. Values are attributes of the person you want to become. So, you know, so many people, we're so cheap with our money, right? We clip coupons, we split checks when we go out to lunch, we look for deals, we won't buy things unless they're on sale. But when it comes to our time, Ah, sure. Whatever bullshit is in the news. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll spend my time watching that. Whatever silly TV show everybody's watching. Okay, I guess I have to watch that too. Whatever time people want of me. No problem. Take it. Take it. You're right. And it should be exactly the opposite. We should be cheap with our time and generous with our money. Why? Because you can always make more money. You can always make more money. But time, I don't care if you're Elon Musk or Bill Gates, you cannot make more time. We all get the same 24 hours in a day. So we should be stingy with our time because it is a non-renewable resource, whereas money you can always make more of. So what that means is that you have to start planning your day. And as I said earlier, you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So if you look at your calendar and you got a bunch of white space, what did you get distracted from exactly? Everything is a distraction unless you plan your time. So you have to turn your values into time. Turn your values into time. How do you do that? You start by asking yourself, what are your values? So values are attributes of the person you want to become. And so what I give people in, in this chapter of the book are these three 
uh, these three life domains that help you fill up your week, essentially. So what you're going to do is you're going to look at your calendar for the week, and you can use an electronic calendar, you can use a paper calendar, it doesn't matter what tool, the best tool is the one you use, right? So you look at your week ahead, and you ask yourself, how would the person I want to become spend their time? So I give you these three life domains to guide your journey. First, the first life domain is you. If you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of other people, you can't make the world a better place. So you have to ask yourself, how would the person I want to become spend their time? So what, what would the person you would want to become spend their time doing, right? Everybody says, oh, what's most important to you? What are your values? Oh, health, health is super important. Yeah, health is super important. Well, let me ask you, do you have time for rest in your calendar? Do you, you, we all know how important sleep is for our physiological and mental health. Do you have time for sleep? I used to yell at my daughter and say, you have to get to bed. It's past your bedtime. And then she said one day, hey, daddy, do you have a bedtime? She was absolutely right. I was being a, a hypocrite. Now I have a bedtime, right? If exercise is important to you, is it on your schedule? Not, oh yeah, I'll get to it sometime, but it has to be on your schedule or you know it's not gonna happen. That's what's so powerful about personal training. With all due respect, I know you've got a lot of coaches, a lot of personal trainers. Half of the, the, the value you're providing is the fact that you have it on people's calendars when they're gonna come see you or else if they didn't have that time, they wouldn't come. So we can do that in all facets of our life. You know, of course, with, with health, you know, if, if learning, if lifelong learning is important to you, well, you've already made that commitment, you're listening to me right now, you're listening to this wonderful podcast, Put that on your calendar. Put time to read on your calendar. Again, if it's important to you, as well as time if you you know if you like to play video games, you like to watch sports, you like to watch Netflix, whatever it is you like to do, doesn't matter. Put it on your calendar. Doesn't all have to be work related stuff. The opposite. I want you to put the fun stuff on your calendar too. So that's the you domain. The next life domain is your relationships. Part of the reason we have a loneliness epidemic in the industrialized world and particularly among men, it's even worse among men, is that we fail to put down time for our most important relationships. Now, this used to happen in our parents and our grandparents' generation. They had the church group, they had the bowling league, they had the Kiwanis club, they had these regularly scheduled social occasions. But we've now seen as society became more secular, we don't have that time on our calendar, and we are really, really missing out. Put time on your calendar for your best friends. Put time on your calendar for your kids, your siblings, your partner, whatever the case might be. Have that time held on the calendar. Don't just give them whatever scraps of time are left over. If those relationships are important to you, reserve time and keep it sacred. Then finally, the last life domain is work. Now, work can be separated into two life in, into two categories. We have what we call reactive work. Reactive work is you know, responding to emails, reacting to notifications, to all the stuff that we have to do in our day that, that requires us to, to be responsive and reactive. That's fine, it's part of everybody's day. The problem is that people get lulled into acting solely based on reactive triggers, right? I don't really know how, where my business is going. I'm not really sure where my life is headed. I'm not really sure if I'm accomplishing my goals, but I don't wanna think about it right now. So you know what I'll do? I'll check email because email will tell me what to do, right? But I'm telling you, if you're not spending at least some time in your day, it doesn't have to be a lot, even if it's just 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour with reflective work. Reflective work is the only kind of work that can be done without distraction. Planning, strategizing, thinking for God's sakes can only be done without distraction. So if you're not making that time in your day for reflective work and keeping it sacred, I promise you, you're gonna run real fast in the wrong direction. So you've got to have at least some reflective work time in your day as well. So with those three life domains, you, your relationships, and your work, you will fill up more time than you have available. Okay, you're gonna fill up your calendar 
And I guarantee you, you're not gonna have enough time. That's the point. The goal is to show you, you have to make trade-offs. The reason I hate to-do lists, the reason to-do lists are destroying people's productivity is because people don't use them correctly. Now, getting stuff out of your brain and putting it on a piece of paper and an app as a to-do list, wonderful, no problem. The problem is if you stop there, you're screwing yourself because to-do lists have no constraints. There's no constraint. You can always add more to a to-do list, right? So here's what happens. You add more and more and more stuff to your to-do list. You get home from work after a long day. You feel like you've worked real hard. And here's this list of all this stuff you still didn't do. So what does that do to your psyche? If day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you always look at this list of all these uncompleted tasks. Loser, right? You start believing and you start saying stupid stuff like, oh, I'm no good at time management or maybe I have ADHD or I don't know, something must be wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. Again, it's a stupid technique that doesn't work. So what you've got to do is add constraints. A to-do list without constraints is a list of aspirations. You're never gonna do that stuff right? Rather than when you use a time box calendar, when you say, here's what I'm going to do, that's traction and nothing else. So even if it's spending time with your kids or watching TV, that's fine. As long as in your calendar, now it's traction, not distraction. And, and here's the thing. So this is very important. When you have a to-do list, people, this goes back to your question. When you have a to-do list, people measure their self-worth by how many cute little boxes they check off, Right? And you get people doing stupid stuff like I used to do where I would finish a task and then write it on my to-do list just so I could check it off, right? How dumb is that? That's <laughs> so dumb. But because, because that's how I measure, oh, look how productive, look how many silly boxes I checked off. Well, what do you end up doing when that's how you measure yourself? You do the easy stuff, you do the fun stuff, and you do the urgent stuff. You don't do the stuff, the hard work that moves your life and career forward. So stop measuring yourself by how many stupid boxes you checked off. That's not the right metric. The right metric is not, did I finish? Okay, I know a lot of people are scratching their heads. What's this guy talking about? Isn't the point to finish stuff, to get stuff done? No. The point is to do whatever it is you said you were going to do for as long as you said you would without distraction. That's it. It's not about finishing. It's working on or doing whatever it is you said you were going to do for as long as you said you would without distraction. Why is that so important? Because that is the only way you figure out your personal productivity. To-do lists don't teach you how long things take, right? So you work on some project, you make some sales calls, you do this, you do that. There's no feedback mechanism to tell you how far you got, right? Because here's what's happened. You, you put something on your to-do list, you start working on it for five minutes and you say, oh, you know what? I better check email real quick. And what if somebody needs me here? And let me just go get a cup of coffee. And before you know it, 20, 30 minutes pass by and wait, what was I working on again? Whereas when you measure yourself solely by, hey, look, I'm gonna work on this present. I'm gonna make sales calls, okay? I'm gonna call clients and I'm gonna do that for 30 minutes, okay? Without stop, without distraction, I'm only gonna make my sales calls. Okay, well, I did sales calls for about 30 minutes and I got through about 10 of them. All right, well, if I have to make 100, I'm gonna need about three more time boxes of, of you know, of, of that. Oh, well, I think I messed up the math there. You get it. If I, if I went through 10, I'm gonna need 10 more time blocks to get through 100 calls, for example. So now I start to learn how much I can get done in a unit of time. And so that can only be done with time boxing and only be done by focusing on not getting distracted. That, that's such a great insight. It's just so many carryovers too. Like I always um, tell clients, number one, it's like, you know, plan, prepare, cook. 
And mm. that should be that should be the thing you should focus on. I don't care what type of diet you approach, right? I mean, if you're not gonna know what you're eating the next day, where so on and so forth, you're not gonna be successful. Same thing here, but again, right. it, it really kind of is essentially what you end up doing is scheduling the process that will eventually get you to who you want to become. Uh, right. Rather than yeah, like it's taking a box. So over. true. If you wait till the last minute, right? You know this, right? Like if you yeah. don't plan your meals in advance, you're gonna eat junk. All right, you're going to eat the fast food if you don't plan. If you, uh, if, if the cigarette's in your hand, you're going to smoke it. If you sleep next to your cell phone, the first thing you're going to do is check it when you wake up before you even say hello to your loved one. You have to plan in advance. So if you were to summarize my five years of research into this book, you could put it into one pithy slogan, and that is the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. Mm. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. Whether it's weight management, money management, time management, it's all about these impulse control issues. Ooh, that looks tasty. I'm going to eat it. Oh, that looks fun. I want to play. I want to do it, right? I want to escape with some kind of uh, 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 that, that escape that discomfort of wanting. So the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. It's planning ahead. It's doing things today to prevent getting distracted tomorrow. You know what's was such a great point? Um, I remember reading one of my top, I would say, probably three to five business books is, is this book called uh, the road less stupid from uh, Keith J. Cunningham's excellent. Mm. Uh, mm. It's all, it's also excellent. Cause when I read it, same thing, it pokes me all the time. It's got, you know, all the hard questions, but one of the things in there talks about is thinking time, you know, and one of the things you brought up said, well, how, if, if you're not scheduling time to think foresight, right. but you know, really think about who do I want to become? What are these obstacles? Like, what is the things that are getting me off track? I mean, you're going to make a lot of bad decisions, because you didn't really think about it. You know, the whole premise of that is like, I think the majority of the bad decisions that you made in your life, why, why did they happen, right? Because you didn't take the right. time to think them through. So yeah. that's such a, a critical point. Wor worse than bad decisions, you're going to make decisions that other people want you to make. Mm. It's, it's one thing if you say, look, you know, I weighed the options, A and B, I didn't really know which one to do. And you know what? Ugh, I made the wrong decision, but I did it thoughtfully. That's almost not that bad. The problem, most people go through almost their entire life doing things because other interests want them to do them, right? They've been marketed to day and night, uh, influence of friends. You know, we have what's called mimetic desire. Mimetic desire says that basically everything you think you want, you want because somebody else wants. Mm. And it's, it's a pretty well-researched theory that pretty much it's all about what other people think is cool. That's why you want it, right? It's not, you weren't born wanting the things you want, you were taught what to want. And if you don't have that reflective time, if you don't have that time to sit and think and ask myself, wait a minute, who do I want to be? Like, what kind of person would I admire? That's the kind of person I want to be. How do I shape that? That only comes from stopping and thinking about what is actually important to me. Is a bunch of junk I'm spending my time and money on actually important? Or am I doing that because I think other people think it's cool? And if you don't stop and reflect, what you will get is a life of regret. And that is my, my mission in life. My mission in life with the work I do is to minimize my own regret. Like I said, I wrote the book for me and to help others live a life so that when they look back and say, okay, what kind of life did I live yesterday, the day before, the month before, the year before, the lifetime before, I lived it the way I wanted to live. Well, I mean, it's, yeah. Listen, having this conversation, this is one of those those parts, you know, it's like I want to take notes because th things that like I run off track and I'm like, gotta, I, I got to I got to put myself back on track with this stuff. But it, it's so true. Right. Because, I mean, the next the next part 
And I actually want to talk even more so about PACs, but you know, this is the, the, the first thing that a person would probably start with is the, I, I would say the external triggers, but I mean, let's touch mm-hmm. on that for a second. The, sure. the fact that it's only 10%, I mean, it almost makes me be like, you know, that's why I wanted to spend the majority of the time talking about what I think is really the core of, you know, being indistractable. But I mean, and I've used this, for example, you know, um, using apps, removing apps, things like that, which, you know, it's, it's, it's helped to a degree. Um, I can tell you right now that, you know, I've, I've done the black and gray on my phone. Uh, mm. Put it this way, very temporarily, it made a little bit of a difference. <laughs> then yeah. I was right back. Yeah. But, right. You know, Cause it's the, you have to do the internal triggers and the make yes. time for traction first. But now there's, there's all kinds of little tips and tricks, you know, removing notifications, using different apps. There's all kinds of cool things you can do. Uh, it's not going to solve the problem in itself. And you're right. That's where most people start. But if you haven't done the first two steps first, they're, they're not going to work. And, and actually for me, this is just personally, you know, that's why I wanted to, to uh, dive a little bit into the different packs because they have sure. been, um, powerful for me uh, in, in my life, whether it's been, again, whether it's been financial, I've had some of those where I've, you know, I've made bets and I'm like, I'm not going to lose this bet. And it made me just be more zoned in. A, a mm. big one is the identity one for me now. So, you know, yeah. if you make a commitment, for example, uh, whether uh, many, like, I mean, for the last 17 years, I've been in some type of coaching or mentorship. Uh, I run my own, but it was, it's sometimes it's like, I don't want to let this person down. And, mm. it, and it might be an identity thing. And it has really, really helped me to, you know, get stuff done, whether it's, it was a deadline or whether it was just like, I want to make sure that this person that I respect and love doesn't think that I'm not somebody that gets stuff done, for example, right? Totally. And totally. so that would be a, a, a positive pressure for me to behave that way. But I'd, I'd love for you to, you know, kind of dive into PACs a little bit, because again, it's something that's, I, I know it's kind of fourth on that list, but it has been throughout my life a powerful force uh, to get me to do stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so just as a word of warning, what I'm about to share with you, very, very effective, but over the long term, it's only effective if you've done the other three steps first, right? So um, uh, mastering internal triggers, we talked about that a little bit. There's a bunch of stuff, of course, we didn't talk about that's in the book that, that people can find more about. Making time for traction, super important. Hacking back external triggers, right? We just touched on a little bit in terms of distraction, but we all know, right? It's very hard to stay on a diet if you've got junk food in your house, right? It's very hard to quit smoking if you've got, you know, packs of cigarettes laying around everywhere. So removing those external triggers can be a, a substantial factor. Fourth and final step is to prevent distraction with packs. Now, don't do this step unless you've done the other three first or it won't last. And in fact, sometimes it might backfire. So there are three kinds of packs. We have an effort pact, a price pact, and an identity pact. An effort pact is when you put some kind of effort, some kind of friction in between you and the and the distraction. So for example, in my household, um, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're, I can be a little vulnerable here. I can share something kind of private with you, but uh, it's in the book as well. But um, so I've been married now for 23 years. And uh, a few years ago, uh, my wife and I found that that our sex life was suffering, that we just weren't being as intimate with each other. And, and frankly, the source of the problem was that every night uh, we were going to bed and she was fondling her iPad and I was caressing my iPhone and we weren't having time for each other uh, because we kept dicking around online with whatever stupid stuff we found online. And so as I was doing the research for Indistractable, I came across this technique around making effort packs. And uh, I went to the hardware store and I got us this $5 outlet timer. Now this outlet timer plugs into your wall, it has a little timer on it, 
and it will turn on or off whatever you plug into that outlet at a certain time of day or night. So in my household, every night at 10 p.m., my internet router shuts off, okay? Now, could I find a way to access the internet? Of course I could. I could go and fiddle with this thing and unplug and replug or try and connect to cell service, or I could find a way, but that takes effort. So it's that bit of a, a bit of a gap between this otherwise mindless behavior to insert a bit of mindfulness to ask myself, wait a minute, do I really need to putz around on social media here or is it time to, to go to bed, maybe get lucky, right? So that has been incredibly helpful because it just added that bit of friction, that bit of effort to, to not doing the thing I didn't want to do. So you could think about this in terms of, you know, having to cancel a, a, a workout, right? I got to call my buddy. He's going to be waiting there for me. Ah, it's going to be a lot of work. You know what? I'll just go. As opposed to when you go by yourself, you know, especially when you're first getting started, okay, if I skip, who's going to know? That yeah. ex extra bit of effort, that extra bit of friction to canceling, to not doing what it is you want to do, to getting distracted and going off course is incredibly effective. So that's an effort pact. A price pact is when there's some kind of monetary disincentive for getting distracted. So for me, as I mentioned, I used to be clinically obese. And uh, I've never really liked exercise. Like I'm very uncoordinated. I never learned to play any sports as a kid because I was, I was really big. It was really hard for me to play sports. So, but now I'm, I'm, I'm in the best shape of my life at 46. And part, a big reason why I got in shape was because I used this technique that I call burn or burn. Okay, burn or burn works, works like this. Every morning I wake up and in my dresser, I have on the wall this calendar, right? And on the calendar on today's date is taped a crisp, $100 bill. Now above this counter is a little shelf. And on that shelf, there's a Bic lighter. And my job every day, the every day that I'm home, this doesn't, I, I make it the rules myself. So every day that I'm home, I have to either burn some calories, some way, somehow, go for a jog, go for a swim, go to the gym, do something to burn some calories, or I have to burn the $100 bill. Okay, so that's burn or burn. Now, why did I do that? Because I want to have a disincentive for not doing the behavior I said I was going to do, for, for falling off track. Now, again, you got to do the other three things first. Master internal triggers, make time for traction, hack back external triggers first. But as the last line of defense, okay, fine. I'll do some push-ups. I'll go to the gym, right? I've never had to burn the money because I just do the behavior because I, I, I value my personal integrity that I'm not going to lie to myself. I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. And if I don't, I'll have to burn the money. Okay. Uh, in fact, the way I finished my book was that I made a bet with my friend and I said, if I don't finish my manuscript by January 1st, I'm going to pay you $10,000. You think I paid him the $10,000? Of course not. I finished the damn book. <laughs> so many times when I hear people say, oh, you know, I, I can't help it. You know, distraction is everywhere. My kids say this. My boss says that. Uh, I, I just can't find time. How many times do I, oh, I can't find time to work out. I'm too busy. I said, okay, can't. That's an interesting word. Let, let's talk about this. If I said, that if you don't come to work out five days a week, this week, if you don't work out, uh, you're gonna pay me $100,000. Are you gonna come? Well, yeah, of course I'm gonna come. Well, okay, we've established you can. Now we're negotiating the price, mm. right? So that, that's, a, that's a, a, a monetary pact, a price pact. The last type of pact is actually the most powerful of the three. It's called an identity pact. An identity pact comes from the psychology of religion, where we know that people who identify themselves by some kind of moniker, when you call yourself some kind of noun, you're much more likely to follow through. So, you know, there's that, that old joke, how do you know someone's a vegetarian? Don't worry, they'll tell you. 
<laughs> right? And, and you can substitute, if you're a vegetarian and I offended you, I'm sorry, just substitute keto or CrossFit. I don't know, like any kind of identity. Don't worry, people will tell you. Because when you have that identity, when you have that moniker, when that's who you are, you're much more likely to follow through. So a Muslim, a devout Muslim doesn't say, oh, I wonder if I should have a gin and tonic with dinner. No, devout Muslims don't drink alcohol. It is who they are. It's part of their identity. So that's why the book is called Indistractable. Indistractable is meant to sound like indestructible. It is who you are. It is your identity. I am the kind of person who does what they say they're, they're going to do, right? So we can use that in all facets. Like when somebody starts thinking of themselves as an, an athlete, that's a noun, that's who they are. And so the, the more we can use that, for ourselves, and most importantly, to teach others. Have you noticed how every major religion in the world has proselytizing, right? Every religion, want, the people who observe that religion wanna tell you about it. Why is that? Of course, it's to increase the flock, right? Of course, it's part of it. But a big part of it is that when you tell others about who you are, you are reinforcing your reinforcing own it. identity. Yep. You're strengthening that, right? So when someone tells you, oh, you know, I, I, I'm super vegan and like, that's who I am. Like they're, they're strengthening their own identity. When I say I'm indistractable, that's who I am. I'm strengthening my identity, right? I don't need to tell you this. As, as coaches, you know, you're more likely to stay fit because you're telling others to stay fit. So we can do the same thing with distraction. We can call ourselves indistractable by making these identity pacts. It, you know what? One last thing that I want to, like how big of an influence... Because I, I always say this, right? That environments trigger behaviors, mm. and how big of a factor that is. And I and I think it kind of falls in line with this, you know, social tribes, and we're part of a tribe, so we're going to adhere to the to the standards of the tribe. But even on the side of being indistractable, you know, like the environments that you put yourself in, which you can to a degree control for sure. You know, how big of a factor that is in in obviously behavior. Huge, huge, um, and for some behaviors that we are trying to change, that can have a huge impact. So for example, if you are uh, in recovery from, from drug abuse, getting a new set of friends, being in a different neighborhood, right? Leaving town so you don't have those constant temptations, changing your environment can be incredibly helpful. That's when we need uh, you know, abstinence. Then that, that can be very effective. But for other behaviors, you can't abstain from. When it comes to weight management, you can't abstain from food, okay? <laughs> and people have tried, it's okay, now no carbs, now no fat, now no this. We know what happens, right? These things, they're very, it's a fad because you can't just stop, uh, you know, doing carbs the way you would stop doing heroin. It doesn't work that way. They're all around us. The same goes with technology. You, you can't stop using technology, you'll get fired, right? Your, our jobs depend on these technologies. So in circumstances where we can just, you know, excise ourselves and change our environment completely, yeah, that might be an option. But for behaviors that we can't excise completely, we can't just stop, then we have to learn these other techniques to cope with that discomfort. And it's, it's so, so powerful. I, here's, here's what I, you know, for anybody that's, that's, that's listening, like, here's what I, I, for every show and every podcast episode or, or when I read a book, my goal is always like, okay, if it hits you and you know, man, I want to change stuff, like go and change stuff, right? Like there's, there's nothing worse than going through. And then again, how much time did you spend researching this? I mean, five years writing it to, to then go, I know I got to change this stuff. I've got, I got some actionable steps. I got practical stuff to do. You know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go read another book. Like, no, like take action on this. Right. So even from this episode, if you haven't read the book, please go read the book. Cause it's excellent. Again, like near just shared, like 
one strategy from the internal triggers, there's 12, but the, you know, to, to then go through it and actually make a plan because without a path and a plan, the default is struggle. Um, and that's the whole point. I think the whole point of learning is like learn, apply, you know, reflect, course correct. If you need to, obviously, it, it, you know, you're always going to have to keep improving. It's not going to be perfect, but, but do something from it. You know, if you if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I'm, I'm a person that gets way too distracted and I want to be a different person. Um, read the book, make a plan, you know, and, and start taking action on that plan rather than it just being like another, you know, thing that you put up on a shelf. Like I, you know, I'd highly encourage everybody to do that. Cause again, like even just our conversation, you know, I'm, I'm going to go home now and talk to my girl be like, Hey, listen, there's two things that I, like I heard, we got to do it right. Like we got to do this right now. Um, but I mean, ex excellent stuff. Like it is, is there anywhere that people can go one and follow you, learn more information? Like, I mean, if you haven't got both, get both of the books, both are phenomenal. Uh, but again, indistractable. If you have uh, some issues like myself that want to improve that, like, please get it and take action on it. But let us know like where you, we can find out more about you as well and, and get more consistent information from you. Thanks. I appreciate it. So yeah, the book is called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. And uh, I'm, I'm researching another book that'll come out in a few years. And if you want to keep track of, of my latest work and writing, uh, you can go to my website. It's called nearandfar.com. Near and far, but near is spelled like my first name. So that's N-I-R and far.com. Awesome. And I appreciate your time. This has been excellent. I mean, it's kind of like the a master class in, you know, in less than an hour of how to actually make yourself indistractable. So man, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. We're about to turn it on.